Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew. Time is fleeting, madness takes its toll, but listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Jump to the left. And then a step to the right. With your hands on your hips. You're bringing me in time. That is the velvet cloud. It really does an insane game. Let's do the time on the air. Let's do the time on the air. It's a dream. You can't see me No, not at all In another dimension With voyeuristic intention Well secluded I see all With a bit of a mind flip You're into the time slip And nothing Can ever be the same You're spaced out on sensation Like you're under That was a Time Warp from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. 
<laughs> you're, you're probably wondering, what the heck is he playing that kind of music on a show called The Shaman's Brew? Well, it's like this. The Shaman's Brew is a show about our multiverse and all the mysteries that comprise it, both shamanic and scientific. You never really know what path I'm going to be taking you down from show to show. One week I might be taking you on a stroll into the spirit world, and the next could be an expedition into the secrets of human consciousness using cutting-edge technology. Or, as in this case, it could be a show discussing some of the most guarded secrets of my Toltec shamanic lineage, which happen to be my greatest scientific passions in life. Time travel. Most of you know me as a Toltec shaman trained in a one-on-one -on -one apprenticeship with Dr. Carlos Castaneda, or for my scientific work as a paranormal researcher. You may also be familiar with the technology I've developed for paranormal research, such as my um, trans-dimensional transceiver, which uses lasers and high-energy fields to open up communication portals through the veil. Uh, my paramagnetic resonance meter that that measures actual residual hauntings and attachments and places and objects, as well as my subtle energy microphones and a variety of other spiritual beacons, such as the dark light and the transdimensional acoustic wave. What most of you do not know is that my greatest passion of all is the exploration of time and its illusions of linearity, as well as the possibility of time travel which just happens to be the topic of the show tonight, hence the opening song. I tried to keep the music in my shows in a relative conformity with the topics, so be prepared to hear uh, more time tunes. Now, buckle your seatbelts. You're going on a journey through the looking glass as I introduce you to a basic understanding of time through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. Through the eyes of a Toltec shaman, time is and is not. Shaman refer to the physical world as a tonal, which contains everything known and knowable. In the tonal, events occur on a linear path, and the relationship between events is measured by a set frequency known as time. Most of humanity perceives time as a straight line, a set of tracks that carry the physical world on a journey to infinity. But to the Toltec shaman, time is an ever-expanding sphere growing at the set frequency of time. On the surface of this chronosphere is all the components and events of the tonal, or physical universe. Outside this chronosphere of expanding time is a place of timelessness known to the Toltec shaman as in a wall. It is a place and condition that cannot be described with words. It can only be known through direct experience. When an experienced shaman crosses into the wall, they find a place of chaos filled with an unknowable primal force that is the source for all things in the Tonal. From the viewpoint of the Nawal, the shaman can look back at the Tonal as it rides the surface 
of the sphere of time and see that it is not at all linear. Time from that perspective is omnidirectional, which means that time flows in all directions at once, which includes our limiting perceptions of past, present, and future. The implications of this model of time indicate that everything is connected in the tonal or physical universe through the chronosphere of time and every single event has a non-linear path leading to every object as well as every event. In simpler terms, everything is connected on an energetic level and to every single point in our perception of time be it past, present, or future, there is a path that can be traveled by physical matter or energy. Traveling on the surface of the chronosphere is not only a real possibility, it is something that our conscious minds do under the right conditions on a daily basis. This model also offers an explanation for precognition, in prophetic dreams and visions. Psychics can look into the future by altering their consciousness and projecting it out to a point beyond the tonal and beyond the ever-expanding chronosphere to reveal a view of a possible future event based on the given position of the person or object on the surface of the chronosphere at the time of the vision or reading. In other words, if you want to know if you will come into money in the given future, you would need to project your mind out to the point in the future beyond the present time of the chronosphere's surface and follow the path from past events to the present and out into the future. In reality, you would be looking at the most probable future for that individual based upon past activity and current positioning. If you perceive a vision of money on that path, then it is likely to occur. However, paths can be altered and futures changed by unseen events. This is why many great psychics are often wrong. They were only stating the most probable future. But what about past events on the surface of the tonal? Are the relationships with objects and events set in stone on the chronosphere once they occur? Given that all things connected in both space and time, and that each object and event have an infinite number of possible paths, then it would seem likely that an observer from the outside of the chronosphere could re-enter the chronosphere at any point in time and space and with the exertion of enough personal power and intent they should be able to alter or reroute an event path regardless of when or where it occurred yes we are indeed talking about time travel with the possibility of altering the past, present, or future. I know this is a subject that takes a lot to wrap your mind around, 
So I'm going to allow a cerebral cool-down moment while I tell you a story about how this concept was demonstrated to me. On one of uh, <clears throat> my many field trips with my own shamanic mentor, I was taught one of the most amazing principles of my entire apprenticeship, the fluid manipulation of time. Our location on this trip was a northwestern section of the state of Washington at the base of a volcano. The energy of that place was always phenomenal and at times created a surreal, magical atmosphere. That day was no exception and what I was about to witness would take me years to fully comprehend. Carlos uh, woke me rather abruptly by crowing like a rooster and saying, breakfast is ready, tossing a piece of jerky on my chest. Rise and shine, you're going to learn about time. I half opened one eye and saw it was still dark outside and turned over and went back to sleep. The next thing I knew I was awakened by the impact of a hard, stale roll right between my eyes. This was immediately followed by the voice of my friend and teacher shouting, Marcos, get up. Time waits for no one unless you're a shaman. Well, I got my blood and curiosity flowing enough to roll out of bed and get to my feet. He told me to get dressed that we were going on a hike. While I protested that I was that it was not even daylight yet, he was busy muttering something that I could not understand, almost like uh, practicing a line for a play. He told me that what he was going to show me had to be done just as the sun bathes the earth with its first rays of light, and we had a mile to hike to get to the perfect location for this lesson. So off we went hiking with flashlights through the forest. I kept stumbling as I shifted my attention from the ground to the starry pre-dawn sky. There was most assuredly magic in the air accompanied by a sense of anticipation that I was about to see something extraordinary. When we reached our destination, the eastern horizon was starting to glow as the sunrise approached. We were standing upon a large rock outcropping that was on the side of a hill about with about a 200-foot drop, almost straight down. Carlos told me to sit at the edge of the rock so I could look down to the bottom of the cliff. I hesitated, going to the very edge, but finally scooted my way after Carlos made balking chicken clucks. I expected him to sit beside me, but he remained directly behind me, which made me even more nervous. The next thing that happened occurred so quickly that it almost made me jump off the rock. Just as the sun's rays broke the horizon, Carlos hit me in the upper back with a blow that almost knocked the wind out of me. At the same time, he ran right past me and jumped off the cliff. I was totally shocked, with my mouth and eyes wide open. I forced myself to look down where he had fallen, and then I gasped because he was laying at the foot of the cliff, looking very, very lifeless. I stared in disbelief, waiting, praying that it would wake up in bed. 
but I wasn't dreaming. Carlos was dead at the base of the cliff. I finally tried to stand on my rubbery legs and was immediately knocked back down and at the same instance I heard my teacher's voice saying, Why Marcos, you don't look so good. I spun around and there stood Carlos, grinning ear to ear, pretending to dust himself off. I turned back to look at look for his body at the base of the cliff and saw nothing out of the ordinary. I looked back around to face Carlos, only to find him bent over laughing and uh, talking about how he didn't know my eyes could get that big. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. After all, this was his norm for his methods of teaching. I often thought that he taught me more for his own amusement rather than for my spiritual development. After sitting back down and solidifying my rubbery legs, we started back to the cabin in the early dawn light as he explained to me about the tonale and the relationship of time and space. He said that what he had demonstrated was one possible outcome for his lesson for me. He explained that he chose the path in time that would lead to his jump and fall resulting in his death to show me that events in time can be altered by moving into the Nawal and forcing an altered path for the same event. A task that required tremendous personal energy, the type that only a skilled shaman can manifest, he added uh, kind of uh, in a you know, proud manner. He said that to assure I would not jump up and accidentally fall, he shifted my assemblage point just enough to paralyze my legs during the demonstration. This is why my legs felt so rubbery when I did try to stand. Carlos explained to me that when he jumped off the rock's edge, he simultaneously altered his consciousness and moved his perception into the Nawal. From that point, he altered the event by choosing not to jump and then re-entered the tonale at the point just after the jump. This all made my head spin and gave me a headache. He told me to rest and take a nap when we got back to the cabin. Although I will not give any details, I will say that years later I successfully employed this technique myself to slightly shift an event path. The hardest concept for me to get my mind around regarding this model of time is the proverbial catch-22 syndrome that has haunted theoretical physicists. If a particular event causes you to take action to alter that event and therefore history, does it cancel out the action that you took to alter the event, which now never happened, that caused you to take the action in the first place? The answer is impossible to find if you subscribe to the current theory of space and time. However, if you take this shamanic perspective and jump outside the playing field, so to speak, and into the a neutral territory of the Nawal, then the possibilities 
become very realistic. So, what does all this mean to us? Well, in reality, not many people are willing to go the distance to learn the mysteries and secrets of the Toltec shamans. It takes years of commitment, and you have to have the right teacher beside you. But with this model, this perspective on reality, many things become clearer, especially for those who seek knowledge of future events. It gives a whole new twist to the ancient art of scrying and illuminates many pathways for psychics questing for visions. There is one other doorway that this principle opens to those who dare to enter. That would be the possibility of what I call time casting. Time casting is a technique I've developed for sending your own personal energy driven by your intent to a specific event in time, be it in the past or the future, that will apply, that will apply an influence with the intention of altering past or future events. Now think about that for a minute. We are talking about changing the past to alter the future to achieve an alternate and hopefully better outcome. However, before you get too excited at what this implies, I should tell you that it takes a lot of practice and the success rate is directly related to the complexity of the event you are trying to influence. For example, you will find it much easier to influence your own choice on a certain investment, for example, that you may have made in the past as opposed to preventing someone's death. In the first case, all you have to do is to reach your own mind in the past and plant the suggestion with the force of your intent. When uh, preventing a major event, such as a death, you are dealing with forces and variables that raise the complexity level out of everyone's reach, except possibly for a very, very adept shaman. The ramifications of making major changes must also be considered in this case. It may have been meant for that person to die, and changing it would only mean it would happen later in a, with a different set of circumstances. Sometimes it's very hard to change what uh, fate has uh, laid before us. There also seems to be a check system within the, the wall, possibly governed by a higher self, that prevents any such activity if there are any negative intentions or severe ramifications that would harm others. Not everything is known about this process and experimentation should be kept on a personal basis involving only yourself, past, present, or future. I will be making this technique available in the near future. It does involve specific meditations that will alter your consciousness and that will have to be mastered before you can project your intentions from the Nawal. But it is uh, within most people's ability if they truly want to learn the technique. Even if you're not successful at time casting, the meditation tool that takes you to the, to the Nawal is more than worth the effort. For those of you 
who may be wondering about the music in the background of the show, it was composed by Coyote Old Man and is from their landscape CDs. Thank you for listening and walking with me on this journey through the corridors of time. Wasted all I never did 
Do you have Celtic roots? Are your ancestors from Ireland or Scotland or Wales? From Cornwall, Brittany, the Isle of Man or Gaul? Do you love stories and tales? Ancient myths, legends and folklore of the Celtic peoples? Do you want to hear more about King Arthur, Gwydion, Taliesin, Cuchulain, wild magic and the realms of the other world? Do you want to hear about the old gods, druids and fairies in a way that they're not just dusty, dry words on a page? Then you need the Celtic Myth Podshow, available from CelticMythPodshow.com. In the days when the world was young, the days when the air was clean and the dew was fresh upon the grass. Listen well, for I have tidings for you. Warriors are coming from across the sea. Train, take this message back with you. Tell the Fearbold they must give my people either battle or live in peace in half of Erin. On my word, I should prefer to give you half of Erin than to face your weapons. The Celtic Myth Podshow will bring you the bravery of heroes and heroines, the magnificent pantheon of gods and goddesses, and the magic and wonder of druids, fairies, and folklore. Our ancestors would listen to these stories as told to them by their bards. They wouldn't read them in books. This podcast brings the magic of sound back into our legends. A new episode comes out twice a month and builds into a complete collection of tales from Celtic mythology. So just sit down, get comfortable, and join us every other week. Listen to news, chat, and a story from Celtic mythology with the Celtic Myth Podshow from CelticMythPodshow.com. That's CelticMythPodshow.com. You're listening to Jackalope 105 FM on the Jackalope Media Network, and this is The Shaman's Brew. In this week's poetry offering, I have selected a short poem to read that I composed about two people lost in time who share a legendary love strong enough to bring them back to each other time after time. <laughs> what? What can I say? Among other things, I am also a hopeless romantic, or so I've been told. I now present A Time Before Memory, read by myself. In a memory before time, love filled the air. Its magic engulfed us and chased away care. And when two lovers touched in the moon's full silver light, a legendary passion awakened the night. Two souls wanting, hungering for one, their bodies pulsing with the heat of the sun. Ecstasy, pleasure, love so content. A precious moment in time, a gift heaven sent. I, in a memory beyond time, two lovers' hearts threw open the door that would lead them forever to the love they shared before. And now, news from the lab.
begin our scientific exploration of time, I would like to introduce you to the greatest mind in theoretical physics today and one of my personal heroes, Dr. Michio Kaku, who is going to give us a basic understanding of where we are at this moment in our understanding of time and time travel. I now present to you Dr. Michio Kaku. Most people think that time travel is impossible, but believe it or not, there's no law of physics preventing time travel. Isaac Newton thought, for example, that time was like an arrow. Once you fired it, it never deviated. Time travel was impossible. Now comes Einstein, who says, wait a minute, time is like a river, old man river that meanders its way around stars. The new wrinkle in all this is that we now believe that the river of time may have whirlpools. The river of time may fork into two rivers, and the river of time may perhaps be bent like a pretzel. Now, Einstein, of course, had doubts about time travel, but his office mate, Kurt Gödel, perhaps one of the greatest mathematical logicians of the last thousand years, was the first one in 1949 to find a solution of Einstein's equation which allowed time travel. If the universe rotates and you were to go around the universe, you would come back before you left. Einstein, of course, was puzzled that a rotating universe would allow for time travel, but he said in his memoirs that he's not worried because the universe does not rotate. The universe expands. Well, since then, we've now discovered literally hundreds of other types of solutions of Einstein's equations which allow for time travel. If you have an infinite cylinder and the cylinder rotates and you dance around the cylinder like dancing around the maypole, you can also come back before you left and meet your parents before you're born. Another way is to have a wormhole. Take a sheet of paper, draw two dots on it, fold the sheet of paper until the two dots meet, and that's a wormhole. Alice in Wonderland had a wormhole. The looking glass of Alice is a shortcut between two points in space and time. Now there's a catch. Using Einstein's equations, you can show that the energy necessary to bend space and time into a pretzel is comparable to an exploding star, a black hole, energy far beyond anything we can harness on the planet Earth. So maybe in outer space, maybe aliens have harnessed time machines, or maybe your descendants, thousands of years into the future, may have mastered the art of time travel and have harnessed the energy of a star. So one day, if somebody knocks on your door and claims to be your great, 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 great granddaughter a thousand years into the future, don't slam the door. Because maybe your descendant got into a time machine to visit her illustrious ancestor. I first became interested in time and time travel as a wee lad about eight years old when I read H.G. Wells' Time Machine. I was hooked from that moment on by a dream that would follow me for the rest of my life, the possibility of time travel. As a kid, I read everything I could find on the topic, including comic books that had anything to do with time travel. My first serious research of the subject from a scientific viewpoint did not occur until I was in high school. 
thanks to a caring teacher, Mr. Whitwer, who taught me science from the sixth grade all the way through my senior year. I was given the opportunity to study some of the more advanced theories of the day as he created a special class on atomic and nuclear physics just for me using his college textbooks from Duke University. I had one elective left that year and I'd already completed every science class uh, offered by the school district including a college course, Astronomy 101, which I attended during night class at the local community college, which again I owe special thanks to Mr. Whitwer for getting me into that class since you had to have a high school diploma to enroll and I was only in 11th grade at the time. Yeah, I was somewhat of a science geek, but I was also a jock, so I guess it all balanced out. So I began a serious study of the more advanced concepts of theoretical physics in my very special but very lonely class. During that same semester, I was also enrolled in advanced biology with a different teacher. He was a good teacher, but he had a real problem thinking outside the box. I, on the other hand, rarely played in the box at all, and in my projects in that class reflected that very fact. We had to uh, create a self-sustaining ecosystem entirely sealed off from the outside world with the exception of sunlight. Well, everyone else in the class built aquariums with plants and algae-eating fish. There was no way I was going to copy what everyone else was doing. So I created a terrarium and seeded it with rapidly growing plants that also uh, seeded very fast and other grasses before sealing it off. And um, before I sealed it, I placed two mating beetles inside of it named Stanley and Livingston. And I might add that they were very appropriately named uh, since about a week into the project, the grasses had uh, grown into a jungle and Stanley and Livingston disappeared in the dense foliage. Per term project, we had to choose a project using a live mammal. And I got the bright idea to combine my advanced physics uh, class with my advanced biology class and consequently designed an experiment around a live mouse placed inside a series of electronically spinning electric fields at a very high frequency. In fact, the frequency was so high that the local marine base 30 miles away was uh, probably picking up the radio waves it must have been emitting. I was able to build this project thanks to my dad, who was an electronic engineer and vice president of an electronic company that built power supplies for NASA's Apollo program and I got to play with a lot of the rejected components, which is what this was built from. The idea was my first experiment in time manipulation based on Einstein's theory of relativity. I won't go into the details of the project, but in my eyes it was somewhat of a success because the heartbeat of the mouse inside slowed by 10% when the fields were spinning. True, there could have been other variables causing this, but uh, I never took it any further because my biology teacher did not understand the project and gave me an F on it because he said it was not a biology project. 
which in retrospect I see his point. Training with Dr. Castaneda for eight years in the secret core teachings of his Toltec shamanic lineage gave me insights and perception abilities opening up a whole new model of reality and the multiverse in which we lived. When I applied this knowledge to my scientific training in theoretical physicist, an entirely different picture of time and the very structure of the multiverse began to emerge. This is one of the advantages of being a shaman in a scientific setting. I can often see firsthand what theoretical physicists postulate on the chalkboards or whiteboards as we now call them. As a result of this, I have developed my own theory of time and space, which includes the possibility of time travel. Oddly enough, my um, perceptions and theories do not contradict the current model described by Dr. Kaku. In fact, the, the two theories support and complement each other. In my theory and understanding of the nature of time, our multiverse is one of many that came into existence through some sort of energetic disruption and formed a bubble, or perhaps it was part of a larger bubble that split forming our multiverse as a separate entity. This bubble began to expand due to the nature of a yet undiscovered force that permeates all things, including empty space. According to my theory, our known physical world would exist on the surface of this bubble, and the expansion of our physical universe is what we observe as time. The illusion of linearity or the appearance that things happen in a sequential line is perceived by us because we exist on the surface of the bubble and cannot see that time is a product of the uh, multiversal expansion and uh, what we refer to as past relative to our present time is, is directly opposite the flow of expansion or in other words the past exists inside our multiversal bubble and our future exists outside the bubble. This future concept is a very difficult one to wrap your head around so I am not going to explain it in this show but it does involve other multi-dimensional realities. So based on this model of time is it possible to travel or even perceive the past or future from the perspective of our present? The answer is yes, and our minds are able to do it because we are multi-dimensional beings and punching through these barriers are simply a matter of realigning our assemblage points of awareness in our own energy bodies. But what about traveling physically through time? Once you have an understanding of the forces that govern our multiverse, many possibilities start becoming apparent that might be used to manipulate these forces and my personal experiments in the lab have always fallen short due to our limited technology. According to the current popular theory of time in the multiverse, it would take a rip in the very fabric of space and time to be able to move through time in different directions than we are constantly heading and uh, would require the energy of a star, possibly a black hole, 
as Dr. Kaku suggested. I agree with this. However, I do not subscribe to this current model. In my model, it is not a matter of energy because the fabric of space does not have to be torn to move through time. It is a matter of frequency resonance that makes time travel possible. You can visualize an analogy of this by placing two liquids together, such as water and oil that do not mix, and then start to vibrate the vessel they're in until a molecular sympathetic resonance between the two is reached, at which time the two liquids become one homogeneous liquid. I believe a similar resonance can be achieved in the flow of time if the proper forces can be controlled making it possible to move in any direction in the expanding multiverse, which is also known as time travel. As I stated earlier in the show, the clue to what type of force to resonate and in what pattern was unknowingly handed to me in a gift from my friend Sue. A while back, she sent me a crystal Merkaba, which uh, is two tetrahedrons or three-sided pyramids that have been merged by placing the top points together and then pushing them through each other's plane so that the points would poke out equally out of the base of each tetrahedron forming a tetrahedron star or Merkaba. After playing with this object for hours, contemplating its unique shape that uh, called out to me from the moment I saw it, I suddenly had a eureka moment, and the idea of using two tetrahedron magnetic fields to form a virtual magnetic Merkaba was born. The trick was to implode the fields into each other at just the right frequency and force. These implosions might create the time-space resonance necessary for the fluid movement through time itself. This is where my personal experiments are at this moment. And, uh, and they're somewhat dormant because of the extreme amount of money needed uh, for some of this equipment. I'm working on solving that problem now and will keep everyone that might be interested updated as I progress further. With that, we are just about out of time, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, for this uh, week's show. If you'd like to learn more about the, uh, the show or the topics or the music that we play on the show, please check out my website, www.theshamansbrew.com. This is Marcus Leader, and you've been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope 105 FM on the Jackalope Radio Network. I'm now going to play this show out with my final selection in my theme of time songs called Time by the Alan Parsons Project. So until next time, have a good evening and thank you for listening. <laughs>